So a classic, classic half of one, six dozen of the other. What's the phrase? Six dozen of those. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Okay, so, uh, wow, things are getting getting long in the tooth pregnancy-wise. My wife is at 36 weeks right now. Your wife is at 29 weeks. Yep. And uh, do you have any updates in this 29th week? Uh, I do. I do have a few updates to go over. Um, So I think she went in five days ago. And in the last episode, I had mentioned that the baby was upside down and in great position and ready to go. Mm -hmm. This last checkup, the baby had somehow flipped himself back right side up and is now not ready to go. <laughs> oh, so he's just so, doing cartwheels in there. He's just flipping all around. Just and flipping around. Yeah, so I feel like in, in maybe a couple episodes, he'll be back upside down again. But who knows? The doctor uh, gave Moe this little like exercise sheet to do. Mm-hmm. And I should say, like quote-unquote exercise, because it's not an exercise. It's kind of like a modified yoga pose between like child's pose and like downward dog Mm -hmm. she's just like on her knees and her like arms and face are on the floor but her butt's like way up in the air try to get the baby like upside downish a bit yeah she's supposed to stay there for like i guess like 15 minutes at a time but so far she's only managed about five minutes (laughs) wow i guess it is a tough exercise yeah that's a goal to work toward um yeah that's uh did they give you any feedback in terms of this is something that normally happens or we've never seen this before that a baby just flips around and around or i guess it's all natural isn't it yeah um they didn't say anything bad about it just like okay this happens here's a paper we have that we give when this happens so Hmm. i think they're ready for it and prepared yeah it's good well um our baby is in the same position as your baby but has never flipped and oh. he's just like resolutely, stubbornly in the upright position. <laughs> and um, like, nope, I made a home here. <laughs> yeah. What what I learned, and I guess I learned this, is that there's really like a few variables to consider when you're imagining what's happening in the womb. There's the the baby itself. There's the umbilical cord, and there's the placenta. Mm. And these are the elements that need to be lined up properly. Right. Um, and these are the things that you know. It, it's like uh, at various stages, they'll want to see the placenta here or there. They'll want to see the baby turned in this orientation and that sort of thing. And what if the placenta is above the baby? What if it's below the baby? Like these are the things. These are like all the variables you have to keep track of. Hmm. And um, I think best case scenario to have the baby, what's supposed to happen is the placenta is at the top of the womb. The baby is upside down, head down, right? And this is when it's all locked and loaded. Gotcha. I think that's how it goes. So uh, we got our placenta right up to the top. That's nice. Hmm. But the baby did not flip and hasn't flipped yet. So his head is right next to the placenta, Hmm. meaning that up there it's a bit crowded. Yeah. And so every day that goes by, the baby gets a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. It gets a bit more crowded. And the likelihood that the baby can flip decreases. Oh, no space so, to move around. Yeah, so it's just getting more crowded all the time, and uh, it gets harder to turn every day. If he hasn't turned yet, they say it's very unlikely that he'll turn. Gotcha. I, I don't know if this is the official number, but what I heard is at this stage, in this position, it's 99% that it's not going to happen, mm. um, and that he's he is where he is at uh, week 36. So gotcha. that means we are proceeding with the C-section. Right. It is all but a certainty now, and um, I think we talked about this a bit last week, but um, mm-hmm. they gave us the date. They said we're going to go ahead with it now, and it's hospitalization on February 4th, okay, and then C-section on February 8th, mm. so you've got sort of this three or four day window where you're in the hospital uh, just waiting, just doing nothing. Did they explain why there's that window? It is coronavirus related. Oh, okay. And uh, it's just something about, um, you know, I guess 
I don't know the exact details of, you know, where in the hospital my wife will be at a certain time, maybe moving from this room to that room or, you know, interacting with with this department and not that department or something. But they want like a three day sort of quarantine period, more or less, uh, after being admitted to the hospital. I've heard that the C-section rest period in the hospital here is even longer than just normal birth. Is that going to happen? Um, in our case, it's the same countdown they gave us. It's uh, the oh, okay. the C-section is considered day zero, and then it's uh, you leave the hospital on day six. Okay. So uh, standard. I mean, the same as before, and it might be different in different places, but that puts the um, the release date at February fourteenth, Valentine's Day. Oh, bring chocolate. Yeah, I'll have to get my <laughs> chocolate sorted. Actually, the pressure's on my wife in Japan to give me chocolate oh, on Valentine's true. Day. Yeah. yeah, so she's got a lot to consider, a lot to she think about. She better have it ready. She better have it ready. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, so those are the dates now, February 4th, February 8th, and then February uh, gotcha. 14th. Gotcha. That's how it's shaken out. And um, it's weird, you know, the... C-section date was about two and a half weeks prior to the actual due date. Mm. And um, it's a world of difference that two and a half weeks yeah, because you sort of, you anticipate February 25th and then late in January, they tell you, Oh, not so much February 25th, but February 8th Mm. and in the hospital, February 4th. And then suddenly everything goes from a month away to like a week away. And uh, you've got that much less time to get all your last ducks in a row. Right. But you're you're still gonna leave work at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. So the okay. leaves are all set. That's uh, all in just, place. Yeah, just a matter of like moving things around, getting things set up, like at the in-laws' house, and you want to do gotcha. that sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, that's how that's shaken out. I asked nice. my wife if she had any feelings about it, one way or the other. Like, um, mm. uh, you know, going in for a C-section, doing this medical procedure that's a bit different than a natural yeah. childbirth. Um, the C-section, for example, you do get, I, I think it's still technically an epidural, whatever it is, it's a, you know, a needle full of drugs into the spine that right. um, more or less paralyzes you from like the rib cage down. And that wouldn't happen in natural childbirth. So there's like a, you know, marked difference as to what the mother's going to go through. Mm. And, um, but what you're weighing that against is like the uncertain anticipation of contraction starting. And right. that could happen at any given moment in any scenario. And you're always, you know, kind of thinking about that in the back of your mind, like right. out at the, you know, local restaurant or something. I mean, not now with the coronavirus ramping up as it is, but say you're <laughs> out shopping and you're like, oh, could I get to the hospital in a hurry from here? And that sort of thing. You've always got a plan for that, basically. Um, but you can remove that from the equation right? Uh, and and then make it more of a solidified date. But then also you've got the surgery to recover from and like the healing of the, you know, the, the cut, the incision that's going to be made. So the recuperation time might be a little more delicate and the stitches and all that sort of thing. So at the end of the day, um, I think she feels like it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's like they both have their own worries and they both have their own like little benefits over the other. And so in the end, it's um, maybe somewhat of a relief. And then that relief is equally displaced by a few new concerns but she doesn't like prefer one over the other yeah and it's nice they have such a a long recovery in the hospitals here either way yeah yeah they don't boot you out on the streets and you know you've got to get home like after a major surgery and with a baby responsibility you can kind of ease into it a bit and then even better that she's going to her parents right after that so yeah, for sure. So we'll have like a four-parent household there at the beginning. Nice. And um, it's another bit of a weird thing, but, you know, you're planning on the February 25th due date, and then the baby comes out on the 8th and then goes home on the 14th. So you're already at home with a kid who's not supposed to be in the world for another week and a half. Right. And uh, <laughs> he's like, I feel like he's, I don't know, he's cheating somehow. He's like... <laughs> He's going to live that extra time, you know, he's getting a head start on things. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it's uh, someday, you know, instead of living to 100, he'll live to 110 days. You're definitely not going to get that February 22nd that you were hoping for, though. Yeah, that's looking less and less likely all the time. <laughs> the window on that is narrowing constantly. What would have to happen is that the baby miraculously flips 
and then is born three days early. And <laughs> the chances are vanishingly small that any of those things occur. Right. So no two, 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 whatever the twos are, <laughs> however that lines up, we're not going to get that one. But anyway, we're in the neighborhood. I was just thinking a, a while ago, like 2022, the year in English is, is fairly easy to say. But mm-hmm. to say that in Japanese, Nisen, Niju, Ni, Nen mm-hmm. is, is like a real tongue twister, at least for me. And oh, then yeah. you throw in Nigatsu and Niju, mm-hmm. Ni, the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, there's no way I'm saying that. <laughs> it's, it becomes a new Japanese tongue twister. <laughs> That'll be fun to hear somebody on the news say it when that day finally arrives. They're not going to um, say it. I bet they're just going to skip it. <laughs> yeah. They'll just shamefacedly bow and move on to the next segment. Which, uh, speaking of shamefacedly bowing and moving on to the next segment, that's what we can do. Segment, segment number one. Today's segment is all about picking names and the kanji. Yes, sir. And uh, some of the steps you have to go through. And the even legal requirements and limitations about getting your baby named. But um, what do you got there in terms of naming? So we have decided on a name and we've already decided on the kanji for the name. I don't really want to go into it here. Um, Yeah. Just kind of coming off last week's episode about privacy. I think maybe it's best that we keep that stuff a little hidden. But going through the, the whole kanji lists and trying to figure out the right characters that go with the sound it's a bit of a headache. Mm. And then, so in doing this, we, I discovered at least the Japanese kanji, the official Japanese kanji lists are very small compared to how many kanji there actually are. So there's like 50,000 at least that people know about. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody, any single person actually knows them. Uh, yeah. But there's also two lists that officially come out by the, uh, I think the Ministry of Education. And one of those lists is just called the regular use kanji list. That's Joyo kanji. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is the kanji list just for names. And that's called the Jinmeyo kanji. And so the first one, the Joyo kanji, I think has 2,136 kanji on it as of 2010. And the other one only has like 860 kanji on it. So there's a pretty small number of kanji that will carry over into different sounds from what i found anyway yeah i saw a paper that was printed or a paper that was published on this um i think from 2020 and the total that that paper cited was 2999 kanji available uh to go into a baby's name and that's the combination of the two lists that you're talking yeah. about so they're just one shy of 3000 character options when i was thinking about this i was like you know if i was picking a name solely based on kanji our kid would be called yamagawa <laughs> just just <laughs> something that i can write line. yep that i can handle <laughs> yeah oh there is some name Oh, what is the name? Uh, there's a name in kanji that's one, two, three. Hifumi, I'm told. Uh, he, one, fu, two, me, three. Right. And you can get away with just the little horizontal lines. One, two, three. Very easy. Um, have you ever heard that, uh, especially more in the old days, um, a firstborn son in particular would get the character for one in his name? Right. And then a secondborn son would get the character for two and so on. Yeah. And uh, I knew someone... Uh, who was kind of rebellious and she had three sons and she gave them all the number one kanji in their names. She didn't like the ranking, you know, so <laughs> she made it a point. One. Yeah, they they all got the number one. But I think in the old days, it was a bit more common to like, you know, number your children. Is that the equivalent of like, everybody gets a, a special award kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. I look at it as more the convention was flawed from the beginning. So it's like she's flaunting it she's flying nice. in the face of of the naming convention and it's rebellious yeah. yeah i think any mariner fan might know that ichiro is one of those oh yeah has... ichiro's got the itchy right in there yeah yeah so that's the the kanji list and in terms mm-hmm. of naming um in japan like within japan this is not considering the american side of it whatsoever like you know applying for passports and american citizenship but just within japan um, you need a name that is in Japanese alphabet. 
Right. And it's totally legal and fine to have, obviously, kanji characters, hiragana characters, or even katakana characters. One of those three, any of those three, a mix of them is all fine. Um, I've had students recently, I don't know if this is a newish thing, but particularly girls' names will sometimes just be in hiragana. They'll have no kanji characters. Mm. And um, I think that's been for quite a while, but I've had a few students recently whose names are a mix. They'll have a kanji character and then like two hiragana characters following it. Oh, interesting. And um, yeah, I asked one of the students why her name was like that. And she said one of her parents wanted a kanji name. The other parent wanted a hiragana name. <laughs> so they split the difference and mixed wow. together the kanji and hiragana. But it's interesting to know that that's fine. You know, that's not her family name considered at all. That's right. just her first name or her given name. And you're allowed to like mix and match in that way. What a what a great lesson for her in compromise, too. Like yeah, she's going to grow up knowing her parents compromised (laughs) yeah she is a walking testament to compromise uh for the rest of her life i also like though that the hiragana parent actually didn't get a hiragana name because there's kanji slapped right in there Mm. i feel like the hiragana parent might have over compromised uh but that's another lesson of compromise right so all the bases are covered but notably the thing that is off limits is the roman alphabet uh when you name the child and Mm. um that means you can't just go in there and name him Steve, spell it S T E V E, slap that down on the page. Yeah, they're going to reject it. Uh, and it's from our perspective, it may seem a little like, come on, that's what I'm used to. It's an international standard and so on. But it's like good luck in America naming your kid with some complicated kanji and asking right. them to put that on the birth certificate. I'm sure that that's officially. Uh, outlawed and furthermore i always think that these things like as an english speaker you're in an exceptional position uh which is that your language is the international standard and so Mm. what if you come from some very obscure background and then you're expecting you know you would have all the rights to the same expectation of accommodation with your native alphabet as somebody who's from america for example but like not every system in the world can be updated with all of the world's characters and you can't expect all of the, you know, like social servants or uh, civil servants rather to understand how to type those in and pronounce them and everything. So eventually you have to draw a line. And I think Japan is drawing much the same line that other countries draw. Right. But that being said, uh, there is a system if you like. Uh, and if, if you want to get a name in Romanji uh, for your newborn child, it can be done, hmm. but it's just outside the normal course of how uh, naming works, like officially and legally in those forms and stuff. You have to go through, um, I don't know the name of it, but it roughly translates to like a family court. And hmm. um, I don't think you have to appear at the court, but you have to register a lot of documents and like requests with the court. And then they can approve it and then they can say, okay, you've officially got your Roman name for this baby now. Interesting. Um, That seems to me to be a a massive headache, uh, not just the family court interaction itself, but after that, you've got a kid who's now trying to survive in Japan and his name is only in the Roman alphabet officially. Because every scenario that that kid encounters, they're going to throw it right into Katakana anyway. Yeah. So it's like you've won some kind of moral victory, like got his name on paper in the Roman alphabet. And then immediately it's disregarded because everyone's going to just, you know, try to apply katakana to it anyway, or hiragana if they're writing a form that, you know, needs furigana, like in the hiragana Mm -hmm. style. So it's almost out the window despite all your efforts. Yeah. What a frustrating thing to do for your kids. I mean, yeah, that's like some of the people in America who name their kid, like Optimus prime. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's just pretty mean. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I love those wacky names. Um, occasionally there'll be a new story that collects a lot of wacky names. And mm-hmm. one of my favorites was uh, a couple somewhere named their child Tallulah does the hula in Hawaii <laughs> was the child's first name. Those and then people last don't name. deserve kids. What a horrible <laughs> yeah. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then it, like it works its way through the court system because somebody denies that and then they, you know, would, uh, further requested or sue to get it done or whatever. And then it makes the news. It just blows my mind. And in another way though, it annoys me because like it's the government saying you cannot name your child this. And that kind of gets me into this Mm -hmm. um, philosophical mindset where um, like uh, 
what's in a name as old right. bill shakespeare said um it's like if uh if you want to name your kid Tallulah does the hula in hawaii then go for it optimus prime go for it right. you can call you can call that kid that all the time and demand that all of your friends call your kid that it's the equivalent of like uh yeah my name's really steve but i go by adam and uh, maybe on paper, behind the scenes, it's always Steve. But then everyone in the real world knows you as Adam. So it's it's fine. It's totally normal thing to do. And then that on paper stuff, that's just the government's little side, like interaction with your life, hmm. you know. And they have a few right. rules. You can say, okay, yeah, I'll I'll meet your little rules. Give them this name. But then in real life, where everybody's gonna know the kid is this, the identity is this, and it's totally separate from whatever the government has required. Right. So that was my sort of like uh, my thinking about it as I was going through. And um, here's a question for you. This is an early question for you here. Okay. First of all, is your wife's last name your last name? No. And then does that mean that the baby's last name, is it going to be your wife's last name or your last name? In Japan, it'll be her last name. Okay. Interesting. Um. um the American passport, it'll be my last name. Okay, so you're going like fully separate, different names. Yeah. And we've known people to do this. I think Casey told us this back in episode four, that his mm. kids like have full like dual identities, yeah. you know, uh, different uh, family names on the U.S. passport and the Japanese passport. And that's all fine. It's all like totally fine and above board and, and uh, legal to do. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I had a coworker before years and years ago, and he took like a really firm stance against his wife changing her name to the Katakana version of his last name mm. when they got married. Um, and let's say, interesting. I'm going to say the name. I'm going to make up a name here. I'm going to go okay. with Smith. Let's say it's Smith. I knew it's you were really going to say Smith. Smith. Okay, Smith. <laughs> <laughs> because... His point was, it was like, okay, my last name is Smith. The Katakana version is Sumisu. Mm. And then my wife's last name is, say, as you're saying, like Yamaguchi or something. Right. And so he was like, her last name is not Sumisu. My last name is not Sumisu. But then somehow we have to make it Sumisu for the purposes of documentation. He was like, so we're choosing no one's last name. Hmm. You know, we're choosing like this totally fabricated, approximated sort of amalgam of sounds that's supposed to represent, but it's not actually anybody's last name. Right. And uh, that really put him off it. And then um, when they got married, uh, like sort of at his request, they each kept their own last name. Hmm. And uh, does that strike you as a legitimate argument or is that a bit of an overreach? I mean, it seems petty, but I do get where he's coming from. Hmm. I hate the katakanification of most words and when i hear mm -hmm. it and somebody's talking to me usually i'll have no idea what they're talking about because i don't uh -huh. know the katakana version of the word they're trying to say and so if that were my name yeah it would frustrate me to hear that all the time especially yeah. my kid who grows up then hearing this kind of bastardized version of your name mm -hmm. as their name so i get it i I, yeah. I wouldn't take the stance but i get it yeah. Well, in our case, uh, my wife changed her last name when we got married mm. years and years ago. And of course, as we were talking about before with Japanese paperwork, you need one of the three Japanese alphabets. So naturally, uh, she went with the Katakana version. So mm. her, if you look at her official documents, usually it's the Katakana version of mm. my last name. And then on my documents, oftentimes it's the Romanji or the English alphabet version right. of my last name so sometimes like you'll hold up two of our cards side by side whether it's you know a driver's license or whatever it is and it's actually two somewhat different names it's an approximation between the right. two and it's just a bit odd um but um as we we're saying with naming the kid the general rule is the kid will take the name of the japanese citizen parent right so in your case that's your wife who main maintained her original Japanese family name. Yeah. In my case, it'll be my wife who adopted the Katakana version of my last name, and that'll be the kid's last name. Mm -hmm. So for like Japanese paperwork purposes, my kid has the Katakana like clunky version, like the Sumisu. Right. But um, then on the 
Western documents, we can just go straight ABCs and mm-hmm. uh, sort of get the original thing in there. So it's a bit weird. And I guess it's one of those things you can choose to care about or not, or maybe you just get, you know, you just yeah. feel the passion for yeah. one side of the argument or the other. I don't really mind it. I'm just kind of interested in it. But anyway, those are those are sort of the, the naming conventions and the, I don't know, there's a lot to think about. And at yeah. the end of the day, uh, for me, it's no different than the person who like goes by their middle name. You know, when you're in school and you learn somebody. Right. It's like, oh, that's your real first name? Oh, my yeah. God. And it, But it doesn't have any ramification on who that person is or what you call them. It's just mm. like a bit of trivia in the background. And sometimes I think people get too wrapped up in their name as identity. But actually, it's just a bit of, you know, paperwork that you had to file. And then whatever people call you in your day-to-day life, that's your identity. And that's totally up to you, no matter what's yeah. written on a document somewhere. So that's my philosophical rant on naming. Nice. Um, did you uncover anything else in your naming research? Uh, no, that's kind of the extent of how far I went in mine. Just that if you're going to pick a kanji legally in Japan, it has to be included in one of those two lists we talked about before, the Joyo list or the Jinmeyo list. Yeah, one thing you might also run into is um, you can choose the name that you like, choose the kanji that you like. Mm. And then it will be deemed unlucky. Oh, yeah. Um, stroke order. Stroke is, order. <laughs> yeah. Is stroke, I guess count better is a more accurate way to describe it. Like the, the number of strokes and right. the combination of the numbers of strokes can be deemed lucky or unlucky. I've said many, many times that there's no such thing as luck. It's just, it doesn't exist whatsoever. So I can't justify making decisions based on what's lucky or what's not lucky. And uh, it's hmm. counter to my nature. But um, I've read about this many times that you'll um, encounter like in-laws in particular or something like that. Somebody will pipe up and say, mm-hmm. oh, that's actually unlucky. You can't choose it. And um, yeah, then I, I do believe it's a, a bit of the older generation, uh, yeah. not so much of the, the younger people these days. So be on the lookout for that. Um, have, you, I, have you run into this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've run into <laughs> it. But um, it's the kind of thing that... Uh, it's more of the older generation. And so the people who are actually naming the kid, um, mm. you know, it's up to you in the end and you can take people's advice or dismiss people's advice. That's fine. So uh, we, you know, if we disagree with it, we dismiss it and <laughs> we're charging forward with nice. what we want to do. Um, I've read about other people making compromises. Like um, I just read somebody who writes a, uh, uh, child rearing pregnancy blog uh, a woman in japan Hmm. who wrote that um, she chose the name and then fully left the kanji selection up to the uh the grandparents generation Mm -hmm. so just to make sure that they wouldn't have any objections to it yeah actually we uh we asked moe's mom for help in choosing that Mm -hmm. just because you know obviously i'm no help and yeah her mom actually suggested the ones that we're gonna go with Oh yeah, that's great. That's yeah. a way to like hit any dissension off at the pass. Mm. You can kind of, yeah, get out of there without any struggle. But, um, I would say like, you know, the, there's something to be said for maintaining the old traditional way, but then there's also something to be said for like pushing past it. If it's not, not in Japan. Yeah, not in Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm speaking like way out of turn here. Uh, this is culturally um, inexcusable what I'm advising right just now. Just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, conventions have to change at a certain point. And mm. if you're firmly convinced that something does or doesn't matter to you, then I'm not going to let like sort of a different generation's advice, you know, sway me on that. Things have to move forward according to like, you know, the conclusions that I've come to as well. Right. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm fine with, uh, especially luck, you know? Yeah. Come on. If somebody comes up to you and just says, oh, yeah, you'll not want to do that. It's unlucky. Yeah. Those are like the karma conversations you have with people. Like, Don't do that. Karma's going to get you. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, uh, I did want to go one step further, and that's into the, um, the U.S. side of things. Okay. 
So on the U.S. side of things, um, here's a little note from the U.S. Embassy and Consulates in Japan website. Uh, it says, we strongly encourage you to report your child's birth as soon as possible and at least three months before any planned travel. Hmm. So they don't say like, you know, do it within a month or do it within six months or whatever. They say ASAP and three months before you, you know, take the kid outside of the country, uh, I guess, just to allow all the paperwork to fully process. Right. So uh, what you huh. need... Uh, yeah, it's a bit strange. It seems like they would put a tighter timeline on it, but I guess some people have to travel from quite a distance and you never know like what's right. the you know, health condition or the you know medical requirements of a newborn child. They could be in the hospital for a couple months, so maybe they're a bit lenient. Yeah, like us, the closest consulate's like two and a half hours away or like embassy. Yeah, and you've, and you've got COVID restrictions on travel and right. I don't know, you don't want to get your baby out into the hustle and bustle uh, that yeah. quickly, I guess, but... I wonder if there's like tax reasons to to register your baby sooner or later. Mm. I think most people who file from here would probably file just like up basically like with your income that you've earned here and then that's it. But there might be like, I don't know if they're still doing like child tax credits and whatnot that would apply then. So maybe there's a benefit to doing it earlier versus later. It could be. I would say that the huge majority of people who live here are um, under the foreign earned income tax exclusion. Right. Um, and uh, then everything sort of balances out to zero for tax purposes. So, I mean, but then if you got like a, a bailout check, like during coronavirus times, I, yeah. I believe you get more um, if you've got dependents. So, yeah, yeah it, in that regard, it would be better to do it ASAP. But um, anyway, there are a lot of variables there. I have mm. no idea. Mm. Yeah. So the interesting thing is um, you have to bring with you, as with anything, anytime you go to the consulate or the embassy, you need a ream of documents. Ream <laughs> being the operative word. Um, you've got, uh, I'll just run through them quickly. There's the Consular Report of Birth Application, the DS-2029. Uh, there's also the Passport Application. You know, if you're going to do a big trip to the consulate or the embassy, might as well get the passport taken care of as well. Right. So go ahead and fill out the passport application, the DS-11. You need the proof of the child's birth, uh, the an original, sorry, the original and a copy, and you need English translations of all these Japanese documents. So one of them is the uh, Koseki, which is the family register, the Shuso Todoke Juri Shomeisho, which is the certificate <laughs> of acceptance of birth report. And then you need the Shusho Todoke Kisai Jiko Shomeisho, which is the certificate of birth report. <laughs> and uh, you need English translations of these things, which you can do yourself. So that's fine. But you get all those at the city office. This raises a question. You need the certificate wow. of birth report and you need the certificate of the acceptance of the birth report. But you that's... don't need a certificate of the acceptance of the certificate of acceptance of the birth report. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, thankfully they draw the line somewhere. Um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff to get. I'm sure it's just each of them's a one pager that you just have to request. Right. Additionally, you need the affidavit slash statement requesting a name change. And this is interesting because, uh, as we were saying before, you really need to stick with the Japanese conventions when you name your child in Japan. Mm. But then when you do the Western form, like your child will be registered in the Koseki with a certain name, and then you need to fully change the name. Right. Um, to so, Romaji. Yeah. And uh, also your the last name will be totally different. So it's like a, a full on different identity. So then you need to immediately apply like registering the birth and say that we need to change the kid's name. Uh, and that even applies if you were to name your kid something like, um, what if you wanted to name your kid Adam and you, in Japanese, wrote like Adamu in Katakana, mm. right? That's legal. But then that Adamu in Katakana is not the same as Adam in the alphabet. So you would still need to apply to the U.S. government with a name change application right. to to get that like, you know, Romanji version of it. So pretty much no matter what, you're going to have to get that uh, name change affidavit or statement. Um, you need the parents' marriage certificate, an original and a copy, 
uh, and an English translation. And there are like different ways to do all of this if the child is born out of wedlock or if the parents like, uh, hmm. you know, had the baby and then got married and then went to register the baby's uh, birth. Like there are different paths and different forms you need for all this stuff. Um, proof of termination of all prior marriages and an English translation. Um, <laughs> evidence of U.S. parents' citizenship, which is basically just your passport. Evidence of physical presence. And this kind of blew me away. Um, because hmm. uh, imagine you never set foot in the United States, but your parents were U.S. citizens. Like right. you were born in some foreign country and then the um, citizenship is conferred upon you through your parents. But then you cannot confer citizenship onto the next generation of kid if you never spent any time uh, physically in the United States. Hmm. And it's a bit of a weird, like, I mean, it's just everything needs a bunch of rules and stipulations about it, I guess. So that's where the United States landed on this. So you have to prove that you either, you know, grew up there, went to school there, or that you spent a period of, I think it's five years there at a certain point to establish your physical presence as though you're like, you know, actually connected to the U.S. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And it was yeah, kind of surprising to me, just something to learn. Um, proof of relationship to your spouse if you're uh, or not to your spouse, but proof of relationship between the parents if you're not married. Mm. Um, so I guess prove you're not just claiming someone's baby randomly for citizenship purposes. Um, both parents' IDs, application fees, which are about $235. Uh, that's for the birth record and the passport. A photo of the baby, of course, and a self-addressed letter pack plus envelope. Hmm. So quite a list of things that you need to sort out. And um, the other thing is that both parents and the child should go to the consulate and embassy altogether. Right. And again, if it's impossible, then there are ways around it, but it's like more forms and other steps and you have to look into it. But the easiest situation is to get everybody on the train, get them down to Osaka and sort it out at the consulate face to face. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the one that I guess threw me the most was the um, proof of your own uh, physical presence. And I read that this will sometimes hamper people in terms of getting things processed because you'll go knowing that you're a citizen, knowing that you're filing taxes, knowing that you grew up there for, you know, 20 or 30 years, but then you show up at the embassy and they're like, prove it. And yeah. then you're like, Oh, I didn't know I had to. And it turns into a big hassle. Hmm. Uh, but I think the, um, the, uh, passport itself can go a long way to proving that just with entry and exit dates. Yeah, I think that's one of the listed items that you can bring. Yeah, so that's um, that's not too big of a trouble. I guess if, um, yeah, there are some circumstances where you don't have that at hand or you've, you know, had an old passport, haven't gotten a new one, and the old passport's, like, lost right. to time, then you would have to, um, yeah, go through all those steps. But that's the U.S. side, and uh, as best I can tell, there's not really a, a deadline, so, you know sort all that out but uh yeah especially now with coronavirus nobody's traveling so take your time yeah well that's um a fun exciting list of documents to prepare Hmm. it really takes me back to when i was applying for my wife's green card in the u.s It, it was like you know there could not be more paperwork compiled than what they asked for did you guys actually get it yeah, um, my wife worked in the U.S. for a year or two when we okay. lived there, and uh, we got the green card. But it was just, yeah, I mean, it was interminable. It was everything you could imagine that yeah. you would have to collect from your, your personal life. It was crazy. Yeah, we had to like, we we had attempted to get it for Moe before we moved here. And it took us like a year and a half, I think. And mm-hmm. we, we never ended up getting it. We just bailed on it and decided to move to Japan. But I remember having to like print out like Facebook messages between each other posts and like print out pictures that we've taken together at certain times. So they had proof and stuff. It's really such a pain in the ass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The one that got me was that uh, my wife and I were here in Japan when we were applying for it because we were about to move to the U.S. Mm. And we thought, oh, well, she'll want to you know, be able to get a job once we get there. So then the trouble is... uh, at least when we were doing this, you know, over 10 years ago, 
the U.S. doesn't want to invite in a foreigner and then have that foreigner immediately go on welfare. And it's just like that's like antithetical right. to the to the U.S. Uh, and their position on this sort of thing. So they say, OK, you are sponsoring this foreign person. So you need to acknowledge that you'll be on the hook for welfare money that we may have to pay them someday. <laughs> and so there's there's a whole form like acknowledging like, yeah, if my wife goes on welfare, then you can send me the bill as a citizen and I will pay you back that money. And that's not like you can't dissolve that by divorce. Like even if you divorce, you're still saying I sponsor her. I'm on the oh, hook wow. for her potential wel- welfare someday. So then you fill all that out. But in reality, I'm employed by a Japanese company at the time and I'm right. quitting that job to go to the U.S., and I'm not being brought over by a company. I was going back to go to school again. So that means I have no guaranteed employment. So then the government doesn't trust me to pay back her potential welfare. So they say, you are not good enough. You're going to need a co-sponsor for her, somebody who has money and has a job in the U.S. that we can then forward that welfare bill to right. should the need arise. So then my dad had to step in and fill out, I mean, dozens of pages of stuff about his own history and his you know three years of tax records and you know 20 page form Crazy. and uh, it's it's just all on the off chance that my wife goes on the dole at a certain point and uh, which didn't happen she moved over and got a job and uh, contributed taxes but it was like so many hoops to jump through it was just amazing um mm. and it's it's so far reaching it's beyond you and your history and your tax documents and all of your paperwork and police records and everything it's right. like yeah why don't you get a few more people involved in this to co-sponsor right. uh, just for financial purposes so that was a massive undertaking we luckily got it within like i want to say 8 months maybe it took 7 8 months to get wow. everything done um and that was as fast as i had ever heard of it being taken care of yeah that uh, seems it usually, pretty fast yeah, like drags on over a year. We kind of risked a few things. Like we started the process before we actually got married, knowing that we would only need to prove our marriage like halfway through the process at a certain step. Mm-hmm. So we lined it up, you know, sort of uh, in the fastest possible way, even before things were a certainty. But luckily, everything worked itself out. Nice. And uh, oh, further advice. If you ever move back to Japan and you need to just give up on your green card, don't just let it go. You have to tell them we're giving up on it. And there's another round of paperwork to be done saying, we don't want this anymore. Um, you can't just let it expire. Are there tax reasons for that? It's Everything comes that... back to tax because I'm literally just in the middle of doing taxes right now. In America yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. such a pain in the ass. <laughs> You're on high alert for tax <laughs> issues right now. Um, it's actually because the person may, you know, if it just expires and you don't give any notification of why you're letting it expire or why you're not reapplying oh. or why you're not taking care of it. And then that person tries to enter the U.S. again later. Right. It looks as though they may be trying to sneak in on an expired green card. Yeah. Whereas actually in reality, like in our case, it's like, well, we don't need it anymore. Let it expire. And then we just want to travel there for vacation. But there's the appearance of something kind of illegal happening. So yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah, gotta cancel those things. But this is this is America, to quote childish Gambino. Um, it's kind of like uh it's like <laughs> if they can make a law to add paperwork to something, they will pass that law. Dude, seriously. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah that's thought, how they roll there. You know, bureaucracy is pretty terrible everywhere. I always kind of moan about it in Japan, but America is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's intense. I mean, I think just the fact that I can't understand the Japanese paperwork makes it terrible, but it seems easier. Yeah. It's more level-headed in many ways, and there seems to be a reason for things. Um, And that's Japan bureaucratic red tape, like, you know, heavy. Like, that's the the country has a reputation for that. But um, still, it's nothing like the U.S. No. And... uh, I, my favorite piece of paperwork that I ever got from the United States government in all of the filing of everything for green cards and this and that, um, I got at the end of a document, there was a whole page that was printed out that said uh, this notice um, is to communicate the fact that 
this document complies with the Paperwork Reduction Act. (laughs) It was an entire page telling me about the Paperwork Reduction Act that I had to print out additionally and then, you know, handle and throw away separately. Yeah, Uh, just to let me know that they're cutting down my paper intake. Um, But uh, I've got a friend who works in the government and I told him about that. And he was like, yeah, I mean, the Paperwork Reduction Act is quite important because otherwise... (laughs) Like, say the U.S. government wanted to, like, crush a certain sector of, you know, entrepreneurs or something, they could say, like, yeah, anyone trying to get into this sector, you need to fill out this 2000 page form. Mm. And then you could pass a law and you could absolutely crush that enterprise just through paperwork. You could kill an entire sector in paperwork if there were political motivation. So that's the whole reason for that act. And it's very valuable to have, but it's just such a bad look to yeah. <laughs> tack it onto everything yeah. and uh, make people print out a bit more. <laughs> so that's fun, everybody. I'm pro paperwork reduction act. So don't go spreading rumors <laughs> that I'm no one rumors. of these anti paperwork reduction act people that you see all over the internet. <laughs> no misinformation anyway. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, that may be all we have. Uh, in the name game let's take a my question for you is sounds good what have you got well um, you have alerted me to a parenting style quiz and I will pose one of the questions on this quiz we're not going to do a quiz but we just thought we'd talk about the questions this uh, prompt says Society would be better if parents were more strict with their kids. First of all, I'm going to be a bit more strict with grammar here and say stricter. Uh, (laughs) Society would be better if parents were stricter with their kids. Um, And the options are, you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree and so on. But it's a good topic Mm. of conversation. So what do you say? Um, Well, would it be more strict or stricter in my mm-hmm. I'm still going with more strict. I would oh say, I God. would say it that way. Disgusting. <laughs> but um no, I don't think so. I would not maybe not strongly disagree, but I would disagree. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think society would be better if we were more strict. Well, I guess I guess that we have to frame that what does a functional society look like? And what makes it better or worse? And so I think if you kind of squash creativity of of kids and, you know, make them abide by rules, then I don't, in my mind, see that as better for society. However, Mm -hmm. we now currently live in Japan where following the rules and getting in line does make a better society here. Mm. So in some regards, it does work. Yeah, I've often thought about Japan has, um, if you'll forgive the expression, the trump card um, <laughs> in almost every discussion of everything. Never, never forgive that. <laughs> okay, uh, they, um, I mean, they have they have the upper hand in almost all of these discussions of things because it's like find a country with this population that has this low of a crime rate. Right. It's just I can't imagine that it's happened ever in human history at all, and yeah. so by some measures you could look at like the span of human history and say, Oh, Japan's done it best. If you want a peaceful society that's, um, you know, as developed and as like, they're the third biggest economy in the world. Very recently they were the second biggest economy in the world. So they've like made it to the top tier population over a hundred million people. I mean, it's like one twenty-five right now. And then it's relatively crime free when you compare it to the rest of the world, you're just safer here than in any other big place. So then it seems like Japan can always kind of fall back on the um, like, don't question our methods. Like we've clearly done it right. And right. Uh, that makes it a bit hard to like walk back from, say, some standard of strictness that they have here. But, you know, assuming that that plays a role. Does does a reduction of crime equate to a better overall society and like a happier society in a more well-functioning society? I think if you look at the suicide rates of Japan as well as the population decline of Japan, I don't think it does because if, 
if it were a better functioning society and a happier society, those two things wouldn't be happening concurrently with a reduction in crime. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think there are a lot of variables or a lot of criteria by which you could measure the health of a society. One would just be like self-reported a self-reported happiness index, another would be suicide rates, but another would be uh, longevity in which Japan is, again, a world leader yep. for a country this size. And so there are some like major, major measures by which no society has attained what Japan has. And then there are others that could be improved for sure. Um, hmm. But um, at the end of the day, I feel like, uh, I don't know, it just comes back to like, you want to live a long time, you want to not be afraid of crime, then this is your best bet in human history is to be in this country. And that seems like quite a powerful argument to me. Um, Not that like the strictness with which you treat a child is the only bearing on that outcome, but it certainly has to play a part in it. And Mm. um, anyway, we might be going too big with the question here. I don't know. It it lends itself to some good conversation and I think it's okay. For sure. Well, about the... um, Society would be better if parents were stricter with their kids. Um, There's a quote that I've always loved by Samuel Johnson, and I guess I'm going to say paraphrase here. Uh, I read it in something I was working on that was in reference to Samuel Johnson, and it was just like a diary of his, and it was just written off to the side. It's like not in one of his major works, but he said um, uh, a person. Oh, sorry. No, he said a river must have banks to flow with force. Hmm. And this is a paraphrase. Yeah. But yeah, if your river has no banks, you've got swampland and you can't harness that river for anything. Hmm. It's just no good to anybody. Uh, Obviously, if you build up the banks too much and you wall it in, then you stop the flow. You know, like you build a dam essentially and you stop the flow. So you just need strictures. You need banks and then that's where you get energy and that's where you get momentum and sort of positivity. So, um, I took that more as a teacher, you know, like the students will need to know the rules and the rules will have to be enforced and then you'll get a good class out of it is sort of how I took it. And I think it applies to parenting in a way. Um, But that's also from maybe a modern American standard thinking that, yeah, a bit of strictness might do the kids better in some regards. But by the Japanese standard, I mean, things are already very strict, I think, in terms of uniforms, uh, join the team, be on time and, you know, do this, don't do this. It all seems to be quite, um, set in stone from my outsider's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I like, I've, I've never been a fan of using metaphor to mm-hmm. simplify an issue because I think it distracts from it a lot of times. And so when you say mm-hmm. things like, you know, you have to embank a river and, make it flow strongly sure that Mm -hmm. works but it doesn't account for a lot of stuff that gets lost like sometimes you need a murky bank Mm -hmm. like because sometimes that's where creativity comes from if at Mm -hmm. least if we're talking about kids and you want to encourage that or critical thinking like if you're just structuring them too much you're cutting out creativity and critical thinking so much that they're just going to follow rules and that's it they're not going to know how to creatively live their life and so that's why i don't really agree with that statement mm. so much there was a good back and forth that i read um this was again over 10 years ago but it was um the question this is a classroom context imagine you're going to assign an essay to your students do you tell the class like okay choose any topic that you want for your essay or do you tell the students this is the essay topic here's the prompt now write your essay and which of those two is the better approach for your class? And mm. um, f- the then there were two sort of academics who went back and forth and back and forth and argued this thing out. But at the end of the day, um, for me as a student, I would love for the teacher to kind of curate the choice for me. Because, hmm. you know, I, if I'm free to choose whatever I want to choose, I might choose something that's like, you know, I'll write the pros and cons of whatever and I've chosen an issue without many cons or without many pros, or I've made a bad decision. And then the assignment is that much harder because I didn't approach it in the proper way. And I didn't have the knowledge to approach it in the proper way, but the teacher did. And so the teacher should give me like a, basically a jumping off point that sets me up for success, you know? And 
in a way that could be considered strictness. It's like, no, you're not free to do what you want. I'm going to tell you the the best like jumping off point to go. So in my own class, the way that I like mm-hmm. balanced those things, which might be a potential solution to this, is when I give an essay assignment, I say, okay, here are the four topics you can choose from to write about. And I make sure that the four topics are different, but that they're all somewhat curated to lend themselves to the type of essay that I want to be written. So no student gets lost out in the weeds on like an impossible task, but then students can also choose if they don't like this idea, don't like that idea. Hopefully they can find one that they do like and then and choose that. Gotcha. So maybe the strictness is about uh, finding the middle ground, maybe, you know, Instead of you have to do this, you can say, well, you you have to do A, B, or C, and then which one do you like? And hmm. uh, I think that's a bit of a safety net for the kids so that they don't like wander off into something pointless or get in too deep in whatever the thing may be. Hmm. So it sounds like you're you're neutral on the question. Yeah, pretty neutral. I like the, um, I don't know, it's a bit too much to say, do this, don't do this. And, uh, you know, then a kid might always feel hemmed in and the kid doesn't develop sort of critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. if they're always sort of in a way spoon fed rules, you know, it's like spoon fed a structure for your life and you can't establish any of your own priorities. So, um, yeah, but at the same time, it's good to cut off stuff that's just a dead end. So, um, I would probably lean toward, uh, you know, within flexible parameters, maybe trying to set the course a bit more. Gotcha. So a classic, classic half of one, six dozen of the other. What's the phrase? <laughs> six dozen. It's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, it's that exactly. Okay. And perfect. Uh, that's, that's where I try to go. Okay. But nice. um, yeah. Anyhow, that's where I land on the question. Um, okay. Good question. Yeah. Uh, so any, um, Japanese of the day has been so covered. We've got that. Yeah. Let's say, let's reach back and say the Koseki, which is the family register. Mm. Uh, that's the main thing that's going to come up a million times when you're trying to, uh, you know, name the baby, get the paperwork, take the paperwork to the, to the embassy that you have to. Koseki will be said and heard a thousand times. So there's your Japanese of the day. How about that? Um, yeah, also to update on the Japanese of the day, uh, I think everybody knows at this point who's taken the JLPT that the results are back. Mm-hmm. All of my complaining in earlier episodes, um, I don't feel bad about. I did pass the JLPT N5, but I'm standing oh. by my previous complaints and uh-huh. and I'm still never going to take it again. All right, cool. You got in, got your pass form, and got the heck out of there. Yeah, and you don't know your results yet, right? I don't know. Yeah, they announce online a bit earlier, and then they also send a postcard like a month later or something with your actual results. I mean, they're both the actual results, but with like the printed out version of your results. And the postcard is the thing that you hold on to as like your proof, you know, if you ever have to submit it on a job application or something. So, um I, uh, yeah, I just wait for the postcard. I don't want to sully myself by visiting their stupid website. So Mm. I just wait for the postcard to come in the mail. And, um, I, again, will take this opportunity to remind everyone never to take the JLPT. It's untrustworthy (laughs) as a test and, uh, it's best not to send them money until they straighten up their business a little bit. Right. So if at all avoidable, just stay clear of the JLPT, just study for yourself and enjoy Yeah doing that yep totally agree how about some dad jokes oh boy lay them on me you got one i do got one ready to go uh i don't think you're gonna get this one. Oh no <laughs> uh what are the strongest days of the week uh Saturday and Sunday. Son of a bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not weekdays, boy. <sighs> oh. Okay. Okay. Well done. I'm all well over done. it. Okay. I got I'm another one. It. I got another yeah. one that I'm sure you're not going to get. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, 
what do you call security outside of a Samsung store? <laughs> Wait a minute. What do you call security outside of a Samsung store? Yeah, you've really gone down an avenue that I don't know anything about here. Samsung, what do they have? Like they have the exploding batteries on the tablets or something? That's I don't know anything about them. Okay. What do you call the security outside the store? Guardians of the Galaxy. Go! There it is. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I know uh, that there's some technology called a galaxy <laughs> out there, and I know that there is a movie or TV show called Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so it, it like dimly makes sense to me. I figured you Very wouldn't funny. get that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, you're really like homing in on my my weak weak uh, topics there. Yeah, you can see where the rest of these jokes will go in the coming oh, episodes. No. <laughs> no. Um, cool. Well, well done, sir. Congratulations on another fine episode of the J Pops. Ditto. Uh, episode twelve. I don't know if we said that. Yeah, it, you know they had to wait for it. Yep. Yep. In case you weren't sure which one this was. So, thanks to everyone for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. Talk to you next time. Be good to your grandma. Bye.